0: Good morning. Today's scripture is from 2 Corinthians 13, verses 7 through 10. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, that we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am with, while I I am away with from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of a, of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up, not tearing down. Thanks, Terry. How are we doing this morning, church? I'm pretty good. I have my dogs uh, ace on my socks, so if you want to see that later, if if you're not doing good, that that'll probably make you uh, happier. It's making me happy. So, um, all right. In recent weeks, as a church, we've been in our preaching trying to push you to not just think about your relationship with God, but to think about. Our relationship with God as a church. Not just your faith, but our faith. Not just on me, but on we. In our world today, it can become very easy to keep your head down, to focus on your stuff, to stay in your lane, to focus on bettering yourself, focus on improving yourself, to treating yourself. And this individualistic self-seeking mindset that we've been talking about is creeping its way into the church. Christians aren't engaging in fellowship and in community like they used to be. Christians aren't responding to the gospel that Jesus is Lord like they used to be. Christians aren't reorienting their life around their beliefs, serving others, turning to God like they used to be. And the used-to-be age that I'm referring to is not the 60s in the United States of America. The used-to-be age that we're looking back to is Jerusalem, is the Roman Empire in the first century. It's the book of Acts, the early church. The freedoms and the liberties that we have to practice religion in our country should allow us to cultivate the church, cultivate Christ's community like no other group of Christians. But why does the church today not look like the church back then? You could make the argument that our society and our culture has become inhospitable to Christianity, that they are to blame for the church's shift in people's priority. And I think you would be partly right. Especially in the last few years it seems that our country has been has become increasingly hostile to religion. But the bigger problem facing the church today is not them. It's me. It's the me first mentality that exists in our culture and is slowly seeping into the church. Because following Jesus is not about self, it's about following Jesus. It's about carrying our cross and denying ourselves, losing our life, giving up ourselves for the glory of God. It's something that we are called not just to do individually, but communally. And somewhere along the way, maybe it's because Christians have have become too comfortable in their faith, and now instead of serving God and praising God and honoring God, through their lives, and through the church. now people are wanting the church to do something for them. The church is not a place that you go to to get something you think you need. What we've been looking at over the past few weeks is that the church is a people. And if you are a baptized believer, then you're a part of that people, a part of that community who is housing the Holy Spirit, not just individually but corporately as a church, where we are submitting our lives to our creator. Faith is not about me. It's about we. And in recent weeks, we've talked about some of the blessings that we get from the Christian community, some of the blessings that we get from the church, but we've also considered the responsibilities that we have. If we are a Christian, we have responsibilities to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And throughout the rest of the year, we'll continue to try to reorient our Faith towards that vision, trying to reemphasize the role of community in our faith, trying to think about our faith not just on what are we getting out of it, but what are we giving to other people. And we'll continue to see that in Paul's letters this morning. I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, as was just read uh, for us a moment ago. We're going to continue to consider the importance of community as we have been looking at some of these themes that are coming up time and time again in the letters of Paul to the churches. The others' focus, and we've emphasized the past two weeks, we'll continue to see again this morning. But in addition to Paul's emphasis on others, he also describes some of the warnings that can come when you focus on self. Let's pick up at the beginning of the chapter, 2 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If you could go forward one more slide. I warned, I warned those who sinned before and to all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. We are also weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. We're jumping right in the middle of a thought here, it seems, at the end of Second Corinthians. It might be helpful if we bring in just a little bit of the context before we move forward. Paul has been informed that in the church at Corinth that he's preparing to visit yet again, and not necessarily because he wants to. The people are asking him to come because words traveled back to Paul, likely by these Corinthian Christians, that there is immorality that is taking place in the church. We Uh, all that at the beginning. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. He's coming to address these concerns of immorality. At the end of chapter 12, Paul says, I fear I may have to mourn the many who have sinned and not repented of sexual immorality and sensuality. These are some of the things that the church has been, that the church is accusing each other of. There are very serious claims that are being made about the brothers and sisters at the Corinthian church. And Paul takes these claims very seriously. And these are probably sins that our church would take very seriously as well. If someone was living in open infidelity, I'd, I would I'd say that any of you would have strong feelings about that situation. You would have strong feelings about that kind of sin. And Paul certainly does, too. But I think there is something that bothers Paul even more, even more than the immorality that he's been told is taking place. And I wonder if we care about it as much as Paul did. I wonder if we care about it as much as the apostles did and as much as Jesus did. Just one more verse, Acts in chapter 12, Before he talks about the sexual sin and immorality, Paul says, I also fear that I may find you quarreling in jealousy and in anger and hostility and in slander and gossip and conceit and disorder. Something that lights a fire within Paul just as much, if not more, than the ongoing accusation of sexual sin in the Corinthian church is that corinthian christians are quarreling amongst each other they're being hostile with each other they're being jealous of one another and these sins that paul is fearful of are sins that affect the whole community paul cares about sin but i think more importantly paul cares about unity this is the situation that paul is writing to and this is the situation that Paul is planning to travel to for the third time, and this is where we find Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Trying to bring Jesus to these people, trying to stir up the spirit among a group of Christians who are pointing fingers at each other. In the first reading that we just read, Paul speaks about these sin accusations. He says, if you're going to accuse someone... Obviously, make sure you have the evidence, but also make sure that you have multiple witnesses. Right? This, this makes sense. You wouldn't want to accuse someone if there weren't other people to prove you know, that there was any wrongdoing. It seems like the Corinthian church, the ones who are doing the accusing, are also unsatisfied with Paul. They're unsatisfied with how he's handled these sins in the past. Maybe they want Paul to cast out the sinners. Maybe they want Paul to speak out stronger against this rampant ungodliness. And to Paul's credit, he does a couple times in his letter to the Corinthians. Sometimes he even calls out people by name. But the way Paul handles sin in the community, the way that Paul charges this church to respond is not by exercising and wielding his authority on the people, but by becoming submissive, by becoming weak, by becoming selfless. If the church is the Spirit-filled community that we talked about last week, then the church must, as a community, live by the Spirit. This is how Paul continues his charge to them. If they're going to bring these accusations about these Christians, here's, here's what else you need to do. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. This reminds me of the scene in John when the adulterous woman is brought before Jesus to be stoned, and Jesus' response is, you who are without sin, throw the first stone. Before you point fingers, before you bring two to three witnesses to accuse someone of something, examine yourself. Truth be told, we we don't know everything that's going on in the Corinthian church. We're only reading one side of the story, hearing Paul's side of the story. But honestly, I don't think we need to know everything that was going on to hear the truth and what's being said to them. Immediately after Paul instructs them about how to accuse someone well, make sure you have the witnesses, he reminds them that they first have to examine themselves. Now, if Paul is trying to instruct these people on how to make these sin accusations, why do you think he would instruct them to examine themselves? Shouldn't they be examining the other person? Shouldn't they be looking for evidence? Shouldn't they be talking about the issue amongst other people who might owe the person or who might have more evidence about what's going on? Shouldn't they be spreading the news about the sin that these people have committed so that everybody knows that that person has committed a sin. Our world today, and it seems that their world then, has a hang-up-on-them approach to handling issues. If we don't like something that someone is doing, let's get as many people as possible to rally against that Against that person. We see that in our culture a little bit. That might be how the world behaves, but should that be how the church behaves? And is that how the church behaves sometimes? It seems that that's how the Corinthian church was treating each other, trying to rally against each other, trying to put each other down for their so called sin whether it was true or not. First, Paul says, examine yourself. The church spends a lot of time reading and studying the epistles to the, to the early churches, and I, I think rightfully so. In the New Testament, the Gospels and Acts point people to Jesus. But Paul's letters and the other letters to, to early Christians show us how we're supposed to act, what we're supposed to do now that we Oh Jesus, now that we are Christians. In recent weeks, in some of the letters of Paul that we've been looking at, in each place we've seen that there is a tension between our responsibility to me and our responsibility to we. These, These two forces are pulling against each other. There's a tension between my relationship with Jesus, what he asked me to do individually, but also what Jesus is drawing us into communally. We need to start putting we before me. That's what, that's what we've been focusing on. But before we can look at we, before we can take care of others, before we can think about others, we have to examine ourselves. There's is, this is a, a pulling back and forth. All this talk about self, all this talk about me, I think it's important that we just consider for a moment what the Bible has to say about self, about trusting yourself. In Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? In Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In Matthew 15, out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Out of the heart comes murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and fault witness and slander. Just a A few quick examples that, according to the Bible, the heart can't be trusted. I can't be trusted. According to Scripture, the heart, self, time and time again, our flesh is corrupt. Our flesh is weak, and we desperately need Jesus if we can ever hope to know our Creator. I can't be trusted to do the right thing until I've made myself weak, until I've submitted myself to God And to others, and I've begged, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Sometimes we can mentally approach our faith, our relationship with God, as our walk, the path that I'm taking to God. And when we start to think about it that way, just what I'm doing, what I'm doing to get to God we're setting ourselves up for failure, because we'll end up living in spiritual isolation. Here's what I'm doing to get to God. Here's how I stay close to God. Instead of seeking the kingdom of God, we'll actually end up building for ourselves a kingdom of spiritual self-improvement, where we're trying to make ourselves better, and we're trying to Create a life for us where we can be with God. Look what I can do. Instead of seeking communal sanctification, we'll become comfortable with individual justification. That's what can happen if we only care about self. Because I can't be trusted. That's all the more reason that we need the church. You need the church, but the church also aids you, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. It needs you because you're weak, but your brothers and sisters are weak as well. They need you to humble yourself for the sake of the community. But what if I'm exhausted? What if I have a lot going on? What if I have nothing else to give to the church? Shouldn't I just wait until my life is sorted out and then I'll be able to get involved in the church? We talked about our need to pour from our empty cup last week and if you missed that message i encourage you to go back and listen last week in our reading in galatians 6 paul also had a challenge to christians encouraging them to examine themselves one of the reasons that we need to examine ourselves is that we need to know where our weaknesses are where our vulner- where our vulnerabilities are you think you're something you're not not my words, that's Paul's words. That's, that's, that's what we read last week in Galatians 6. But you don't understand, Paul. It's okay if I stay in spiritual isolation because I have self-control. It's okay if I stay by myself because I have endurance. I can run the race. I have wisdom. I can take care of myself. While I wouldn't want to worry anybody else Everybody else has a lot going on. I don't want to worry them with what I have going on in my life. That's the devil speaking in our hearts. Trying to convince us that you have what it takes to do it on your own. Trying to isolate you. Trying to convince you that you don't need church. Trying to eventually convince you that you really don't even need Jesus. I can't be... Trusted, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Are you getting the picture this morning, church? That we don't have what it takes? Before we turn on our brothers and sisters, like what has happened in 2 Corinthians, before we turn our backs on the church altogether, We ought to examine ourselves and see first if Jesus Christ is in you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul continues and tells them a little bit more about his experience with self-examination. He says this in verse 7, But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be as severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. So we've talked about that there's this issue where the Corinthians are pushing against Paul that Paul is not measuring up to his responsibility to address the sin like they feel that he, he should. And it, I'm sure it hurts Paul's feelings a little bit that they feel this way, that they feel like he is not enough. But Paul is not writing to them to correct their opinion. Paul is not even praying that these people would owe the truth about him. What Paul is praying for is for their restoration. Even if they don't like Paul, even if they don't like what Paul is doing, Paul is using his prayer to benefit others. Because Paul's relationship with God is not just about Paul and God. It's about we and God. And even if other people don't like what you're doing, and even if other people don't like you, And even if those other people are Christians, you still have a responsibility to use your faith for them as well. This is what we've been talking about. The Bible is not about you. Faith is not about you. Even your prayer life is not just about you. It needs to be about us. How we together as a community of the Holy Spirit are drawing to God. Are we making the faith of our brothers and sisters that big a priority? That instead of praying for ourself, we would would pray for our enemies. I hope that we're considering our own relationship with God, our own faith on a daily basis. But has our self-reflection turned into selfish reflection? Paul's conclusion at the end of the chapter, I think, is the perfect summary of where he's trying to lead us, what we need to get when we self-reflect, what we need to get out of our relationship with God. One last time from 2 Corinthians in verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you with grace grace. Of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. For Paul, it all comes back to community. The whole reason that you need to examine yourself, the reason that you need to consider yourself before you point fingers at others, is not to find a sense of self righteousness. Now that I know I'm okay, now I can go accuse other people of their sins. On the contrary, the reason we self-examine is so that we can comfort one another who are hurting, just like we are. So that we can restore people who are lost in sin, just like we once were, and just like you might be today. We self-examine so that we can learn how to create peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The reason that we self-examine, the reason that we look at self It's because we need to see, are we contributing to the restoration of the community? Are we contributing to comforting others? Are we helping to create peace with our brothers and sisters? And if in our self-examination, we look at ourselves and we say, I am not building up the community of faith like I should. I am not aiding the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Well, then who are we to throw stones at anyone else? if we self-examine, we look at ourselves, and we are building up the community, and we are living in peace, and Jesus Christ is within us, then it's on you to build up others who in their sin and in their mistakes and in their lives are in deep spiritual need. At no point in your Christian walk will you be called to turn on your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are always called to peace and to unity as vessels of the Holy Spirit existing together in a Holy Spirit community, seeking to draw closer to our Creator every day. Our faith is not about me. Our faith is about we. And if our faith ever becomes me focused, if we only ever read the Bible for me, if I only ever pray for me, if I only ever go to church because I need it, then our faith is in danger because I can't be trusted. This morning, church, we need to be willing to admit to ourselves, we need to be willing to admit to one another that we can't do it on our own. This is the first step that we take when we become a Christian, in our confession and our repentance, we are telling God, I, God, I cannot get to you without Jesus. I need the cross. I need your son. But why does that confession have to stop there? Why do we stop confessing that we aren't enough? That's the confession that we should be making every day as a community of believers, confessing that we, as a, as a people of God, need Jesus, and we need to be pulling each other to Jesus as we are pulling closer together. It all comes back to self. If if being a Christian is just about you, then you won't submit to God, and you certainly will not submit to one another. If you are not yet a Christian, if you do not yet owe Jesus, then you might at times... Eel spiritual in your life, but your sin has separated you from God. And you need the blood from the cross to draw near to Him. He has, he has done the work to draw near to you. If you, need to, if you need to be baptized and confess that you have spiritual need, we would love to help you do that. If you are a Christian, and maybe you've settled in spiritual isolation, I invite you to turn to your brothers and sisters and look them in the eye and confess to them that you need them and let them know that you are there because they need you too. If we try to live in spiritual isolation, we might convince ourselves we have justification. We we might convince ourselves that we're going to heaven one day, but are we becoming more like our God, right here today as a community. If you have any need, whether it's in person or on Facebook, I hope that you make it known as we sing this song in a moment, or you could reach out. Wouldn't it be crazy if you reached out to one of your brothers and sisters this week and said, hey, I need help. If you have any need this morning or at all, won't you make it known to one another as we stand and as we sing?